Welcome to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have real, honest, smart, and sometimes even hilarious conversations about co-parenting, separation, and divorce, and all that goes along with that. I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and today I want to talk about what it really means to put your children at the center of all of your decisions, rather than in the middle of your divorce. And I put it that way because that was actually the question that our mediator asked us. When my ex and I had finally reached the point where we realized we needed to split up, we sought out a mediator. And the very first question he asked us was, do you want to put your kid at the center of all of your decisions or in the middle of your divorce? Because those are two choices. He's either going to be at the center or in the middle. And put to us like that, at that particular moment, there was not a question, right? We were like, well, of course we want him in the center. Of course we do. And what I see time and time again is that people aren't asked that question straight up uh, in the beginning stages, right? Because from that moment on, Every single time things got hard, our mediator would stop and he would say, what's best for your son? And it would shift. Even some of the most difficult uh, decisions that we had to make became a little bit clearer through that lens. And I'm going to tell you a story. Um, So this was actually also in our very first session where the very first thing on the table was who's keeping the house and who's moving out. And I was adamant that I should keep the house. Um, I think from a traditional standpoint, I was the wife. I was a stay-at-home mom. Of course I got the house. Um, And (laughs) my ex and I had spent years in what's called imago therapy, And if you don't know what that is, Imago Therapy was developed by a man named um, Harville Hendricks uh, back in the 80s. And it's a really, it's a powerful tool. It's it's a little bit weird and it's a little bit stilted, but Imago Imago Therapy, I mean, the idea of of Imago is that we all have an Imago match. Usually it is the person who uh, triggers us the absolute most. They are the person who mirrors uh, our childhood wounding. So uh, let's say that your uh, mother or father abandoned you as a child or took off or disappeared or whatever. You know, right? It's no secret, right? You have abandonment issues. and But what we tend to do is then choose people to be our mates who will replicate that, who will abandon us in one form or another, whether it's emotionally abandon us, uh, whether it's they'll just fucking disappear at the drop of a hat and they'll ghost us, right? Because our unconscious minds are choosing these people. Um, and they're cho- our unconscious is choosing this person in order for them to change. And if they change for us, then we'll be healed. Then all of our childhood wounding will be made better. And... Um, so 
in imago therapy, right? So then in imago therapy, you sort of identify this, right? And then when something goes wrong and you want to have a conversation about it rather than a big fight, if you want to move forward in uh, your communication with your spouse or your partner or whatever it is, you say, I'd like to have an imago dialogue. Is now a good time? And you always ask for permission. And the other person gets to say yes or no. You know, they say, actually, now is not a good time. Um, or they can say, yes, um, it's, this is a good time. And so at that point, the Imago dialogue begins, right? And if they say no, you're like, okay. And then you just say like, you know, can I, can I ask you later? Or, you know, can I ask you again after dinner? And they can say yes or no. Um, if they continue saying no, you have a problem. (laughs) You're not really in this process together. Um, so later on you would come back and say, Hey, I'd like to have an Imago dialogue is now a good time. And the reason you ask is because the person who is uh, receiving on the receiving end of the information needs to be in a space where they can hold it. They cannot be feeling angry or defensive because it just won't work. So then what happens is if I were to go to my husband and say, I would like to have an Imago dialogue is now a good time. He would say yes. And I would, and I would start off and say, um, when we had that conversation at my mother's, I felt uh, really upset. And he would hold up his hand when he had enough that he could mirror exactly back. And he would say, when we were at your mother's, you were really upset by what I said. And I, and then I would continue and he would con- keep holding up his hand and he will mirror word for word what it is that I, that I say to him. So he would stop me as soon as he had sort of a mouthful or, you know, a sentence full or whatever it was. So he'll stop and say, and and we'll just, and we'll keep going like that until I've gotten everything out. And at the end, uh, my husband would then summarize what, everything that I said. And this is, the reason that this is such a powerful tool is that it forces empathy. It forces you into a state of objectivity right? You have to just be an observer of your partner's experience and you have to mirror it back to them. You can add nothing. You can add no emotion. You can add no words, nothing. You're simply repeating back what they say. And in that process, you have to, it's a design for empathy because the next thing that you do is you have to summarize it. And you say, you know, you said all these things and you said this, and I think, you know, this, 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 and this, is that right? And then your partner gets to go, yes, that's right. And I also said, blah, 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 right? And so you keep going like that until you feel like your partner has really gotten everything that you wanted to say. And then they say, I can imagine that you must have felt And they have to name three feelings that they imagine you must have felt while while in that situation, right? So the the feelings are coming from them, right? And this is, again, forcing empathy. And and I I use the word forcing, but but really they have to step inside your experience in order to go, wow, you know what? You must have been really hurt when I said that. You must have felt angry and frightened and sad. Is that what you were feeling? And then you say, I was feeling angry and sad. I wasn't frightened, but I was really mad, 
right? And so you get to sort of correct and, and express your true feelings. Anyway, it goes on like this. The point is, <laughs> in our very first mediation, uh, this didn't, now this Imago dialogue, it's kind of magical for a lot, in a lot of ways, and it didn't work to save my marriage. Plain and simple, it didn't work to save my marriage for a few reasons, I think, but I'm not going to get into those here. Um, but they were the driving force behind saving my divorce. So in our very first mediation session, we immediately started talking about the house and it immediately started getting heated. And I stopped and I said to my ex, I'd like to have an Imago dialogue. Is now a good time? And he said, yes, this is a good time. And I remember sort of glancing at our mediator, who I don't think had ever heard of Imago therapy before, and he just looked so confused. <laughs> he had no idea what was happening. And we had an Imago dialogue in which I explained to him that I felt like, being the mother, that my son... Um, I was his constant that as the stay-at-home mom and with his work schedule, as erratic as it was, I was going to be the one who was constantly, um, you know, picking him up from school. Even if we were going to do 50-50, I still had to pick him up from school every day because my ex would, was probably working. Um, and our son was, was three and a half at the time. And I said, you know, I really feel like it, with me as the constant, it's really important for me to be able to bring him home to this place that he knows and he experiences as home and that it is a constant for him. And so, you know, my ex heard me, we did the whole mirroring thing and the summarizing thing. And at the end of it, he said, I'd like to have an Imago dialogue. Is now a good time? And I said... Okay. And it's unusual. You don't usually debate by Imago Dialogue. It's not actually the way it's supposed to work. But in this particular case, I was like, okay. Because I actually did want to hear his point of view. I was like, yeah, what you got? Because <laughs> I thought I did really well. What you got? And he said to me, in his Imago Dialogue, he said, as the dad, as the working dad, I already feel disenfranchised. I already feel like I am more of the stranger to our son. And this is a really actively involved dad, by the way. Um, but he works a lot. And he said, I, I always feel like I'm one step further removed from him. And if I were the one to get a new place, I feel like everything in that place would be strange, including me. And he said, wherever you go, you are home to him. You are mom and you are his home. And for me to have our home as the one constant um, would mean a lot, I think. And I think it would have an impact on him. And I heard this and I thought of what's best for our son. And I let me tell you guys, I love my house. That was my house. And I loved it. I chose it. I decorate it. I loved it. I loved that house. I still love that house. I still dream of that house. Um, but I heard what he was saying and I could not, I couldn't disagree. And I was actually brought to tears by what he said. And at the end of it, I was like, okay, you get the house. And we looked at <laughs> 
radiator whose jaw was not kidding, literally hanging open. And he was like, what? What did you guys just do? And if you did that, why are you getting divorced? And, you know, we explained that, um, I think my ex said at one point in our mediation, later down the line in our mediation process, our mediation team, at that point we had financial people on board and they said, you guys, like what, why are you able to do this so well? And my ex said, you know, we worked so hard to make our marriage work and we simply couldn't. And by God, we're going to make this divorce work. And I think that's true. Um, I'm not, you know, I want to, you know, when I talk about my marriage in this, if you don't know me and my story, you may not know that I had the most volatile marriage I've ever seen. Um, we were cats and dogs. We fought viciously almost every single day, multiple times a day. It was awful. And we still trigger each other. In to, <laughs> This is the, the dirty secret about divorce, guys, is that it never stops. It never fucking stops. We still trigger the shit out of each other. We still get into the same kinds of arguments that we used to get into, and we have been divorced for 10 years, almost 10 years. Um, so, um, but now we have the opportunity of going to our separate homes and closing the doors, and, and, and we get out of it much more quickly. But when we were still married, it spiraled. It was so ugly. It was so devastatingly volatile. And um, so the fact that we were able to mediate this horror show into something as healthy as we did was a fucking miracle. Um, but so my point is, my point here is that even some of the hardest stuff, right? Even some of the most, and let me tell you, giving up my house was devastating to me, devastating. Uh, but when I looked at it through the lens of what is best for my child, when I put my child At the center of my decision-making process, there was no choice. There was only the choice to give up my home, Uh, which again, I still regret. I don't regret. It was the right choice, but I still, it still breaks my soul sometimes. Um, And I only live like five blocks away. And every time I drive by it, I'm like, ugh, I, I go out of my way to not drive by it. Um, so anyway, so listen, if you're at the place where you are about to go through this, if you are, are embarking on this, if you're in the middle of it, I don't care where you are in the process. If you can stop, if you and your ex can decide right now together that, because here's the alternative. The alternative is that your kid gets put in the middle. The alternative is, and, and, and I, I, I've talked about this, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast, but I have a blog post about this called the litigate, how the litigation system is designed to screw you. Because here's the deal. If you go through litigation, um, in the United States of America, the family court system has linked percentage of custody with, uh, child support amount. Uh, so your time with your child is necessarily and automatically linked to a dollar amount and people will go to any lengths and the litigation system and attorneys, litigators will walk you down that road, uh, to putting your kids in the middle. So one of the first, uh, before we went to mediation, I, uh, went and saw an attorney because uh, a divorce attorney, because I thought, you know, I just want to know what my rights are. I didn't even know as a stay at home mom, like I had no clue. 
right? And I just wanted to know what my rights were. So I go to this guy and I say, hey, so, you know, this is the deal. This is the situation, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, okay, so how much money do you make? And I was like, well, nothing. (laughs) Stay at home mom. He said, okay, how much does your husband make? And I gave him the number. And he said, so how much custody do you want? And I said, well, I want to split custody. I want my husband. He's, you know, he's a, a great dad and my um, husband and my son have a have a very strong bond, and of, of course I want to share. And he said, "Okay, so this is the do- so now based on that information, this is the dollar amount that you will get in bo- in child support, and that you're entitled to for child support and um, and spousal support. For in the state of California, it's fifty percent of the duration of the marriage. So unless you've been married for over 10 years, in which case it's, I think it's over 10 years and over 40, you're entitled to spousal support for life. But don't quote me on that. I don't do legal stuff. Um, so I said, okay, um, that's great. And he said, but you know, you see, if we slide this, there's a, there's this, this thing called the disamaster. I don't know if it's used in every state. It's used in California where it, 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 plugs in the numbers and it spits them out, but there's this little bar that you can slide. And he said, see, if you actually have more custody, then you could get more money. And I was like, oh, oh okay, that's nice. Um, but why would I want to do that? And he said, well, why, why wouldn't you want more money? And I said, but why would I want to take my child away from his father? I mean, how, what? Like, this was literally not even a, a thought in my mind. And he said, well, you can get, because you could get more money. So, you know, you have to think about that. And I said, but, but on what grounds? I mean, he, he said, well, was he abusive to you? Or do you think he might be abusive to your son? And I suddenly realized that this man was going to walk me down the path of maligning my ex uh, in order for me to get more money and by the way, for him, the attorney, to get more money out of the settlement that he was going to now make really fucking ugly and drag through the court system, uh, all just to, for us to get more money while basically playing my son as this pawn. Not even basically, literally, right? So my son was going to now be in the middle of this. We were going to fight over time in order to fight over money. And I walked out of there and I said, no fucking way. But this is what happens. There's a, there's a documentary called Divorce Corp um, that I highly recommend uh, people watch. It is horrifying. It is fucking horrifying um, because the family law system is incredibly corrupt in the United States. There are a lot of issues at play here. Um, and But there are people who have... Lo- completely lost custody of their children because their ex has accused them of horrible things in order to either get tons of money. There are people out there who are no longer allowed to see their children, but have to pay child support to the other custodial parent. And there are people out there who, um, have lost custody completely so that, um, because they don't, uh, want, because like mother, like usually it's the mom, right. Who is getting child support. So there are dads who will malign their exes to such degrees that they no longer have custody so that they don't have to pay child support. So it is a, it is, it is an 
a horrible problem, but it is the way the system is set up. It is the way the litigation system is designed. And before you know it, you could be stuck in the middle of it, which is why I want everyone to just sort of not go to litigation. Like I, I advocate against litigation unless it's absolutely necessary. And look, you know, there are situations where it has to be done. Absolutely. If one or both, one, one or both parties is not able to, um, communicate, not able to mediate, then unfortunately it has to go to court. Um, but the, but the bottom line is that the kids are the ones who get screwed. And my mediator was on a panel once where it was a panel of mediators and litigators and they were, you know, being asked all sorts of questions. And then finally my attorney, the mediator asked the litigators, they said, he said, how do you know when to stop litigating? And the litigator said, when the money runs out. And what that says to me is that, A, they're going to fight this fight until there's no more money to pay them, which means there's no more money for your kids. There's no more money for your kids' college education. There's no more money for your kids' trust funds, if that's such a thing in your world. There's no more money for, you know, you to get another house, to move, all of this, right? It also says to me that they probably come to some agreement that the two lawyers will come to some agreement that they probably could have come to, I don't know, months, years, tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars before, but they were not so inclined because there was still money to fight. So, um, so that is the alternative, right? I mean, and then that's an extreme alternative, but the bottom line is you can either put your children at the center or in the middle. And those are two examples of what both can look like. And, you know, this is the other reason that I often advocate for in, in, in other countries, I know in Europe and I think in Brazil and I, in, in England and Brazil, and I don't know about other countries, I have not researched this. Um, you are not allowed to begin divorce proceedings until you have been legally separated for two years. And I, the reason for this, I don't actually know what the reasoning is. My assumption is that the reasoning is that you are making some of the biggest financial and legal decisions of your entire life in the middle of the biggest emotional upheaval in your life. And those things do not go well together. They simply do not go well together. Um, and they are a recipe for disaster. So you know, I think that the litigation system in the United States really feeds off of uh, our emotional fragility in these moments. So I strongly recommend that you not begin proceedings when you're completely hot under the collar and angry and fighting because, because your kids will suffer. Your kids will be put in the middle. And if I was really angry and if I was really vindictive, I would have fought my husband tooth and nail for that house just so I could fucking win. But really, who was going to win? Who was going to win with that? So I will leave you with this. The, it takes something. It takes a lot to put your children at the center. It takes a lot to take your anger and your pain 
to, and put it outside the ring and to hold your children as the only thing that fucking matters right now. It takes something. It takes a lot. And it also, it takes even more when you're the only person willing to do it. So if this has inspired you at all, feel free to share this with your spouse or your ex or whatever. Share, share this podcast episode because this is what, it, this is the deal. This is the real deal. This is what it takes. Um, and if you need support with that, if you need, you know, gather your systems, gather your support systems. I am always available. Um, as I think, you know, you can find me over at kateanthony.com. You can, you know, sign up for a consult with me. I am a coach. I work with people on this stuff. Um, and I want to change this. This is one of my soapbox issues. I want to change the way that we do this, um, because I'm tired of seeing children suffer. So if you're with me on that, uh, I would challenge you to take a pledge. Take a pledge to put your children at the center of every decision in your divorce proceedings from now on. And I promise the whole thing will go so much better. Thanks for listening to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. You can find me over at kateanthony.com and be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.